You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is Monday, May 10th, and I hope that you all had a great Mother's Day yesterday. And I also hope that everyone on Instagram got a lot of solid feedback about how bangable their moms are. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Russians are hacking our gas tanks, bees join the war against COVID, and Caitlyn Jenner is running for governor and away from homeless people. So, let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. All right, people, let's do this. Let's kick things off with the coronavirus pandemic. It's the thing that is both almost over and somehow worse than ever. Even as vaccines are making everybody safe, it is clear that COVID-19 is a lot like Benefer in that it is never really going to be over, which is why a new breakthrough in testing for COVID is getting a lot of buzz. Dutch researchers are training bees to detect COVID-19 infections in samples. And they say that it could cut the waiting time for test results from hours or days to down to just seconds. Bees have an unusually keen sense of smell and the bees indicate a positive test result by extending their tongues to get a reward in the form of sugar water. Takes about a month to train these bees. Researchers say that it could be used in parts of the world where there is currently no COVID testing available. Ah, you see people? You see what happens when we don't get vaccinated? I told you guys, what did I say? I said, if we don't get global vaccinations up and running, we're all gonna end up getting licked by bees. Remember when I said that? And now look what happened, huh? Huh? I also love how they say this is gonna be used in countries where regular testing isn't available. Poor countries always get screwed, man. In America, what do they do? They swab you with a Q-tip, huh? That's the test. But now in Africa, they're gonna be like, my brother, you think you have COVID, huh? What you need to do is put your head inside this beehive and cough, cough again. No, no, you must cough, cough harder. Cough. No, they don't worry about this thing. They are going to test you, cough again. Why are we even making the bees do this? I mean, these poor bees, they already have so much on their plate. They pollinate our crops. They make our honey. They teach our kids how to have sex with birds. Give them a break. I just hope that this gets people over their vaccine hesitancy. Because now, if you don't wanna get the vaccine, fine. But that means you gotta get a bee test if you wanna go to the club. Hey, what's up, girl? You looking to have fun tonight? Yeah, because- Ah! Ah! Ah, there's bees! Ah, the bees! So yeah, you gonna be in there? I'll see you in there, girl. But let's move on now to some news from the world of sports. The Kentucky Derby. It's the Super Bowl for athletes who poop standing up. Well, it turns out that this year's winner may have been downing something a little stronger than a mint julep. Now to a scandal that's erupted in the world of horse racing. Medina Spirit, this year's winner of the Kentucky Derby, failed a post-race drug test. The Colts Hall of Fame trainer, seven-time Derby winner Bob Baffert, now suspended indefinitely by Churchill Downs. The substance, an anti-inflammatory, was also found in the system of Gamine, another Baffert-trained horse that finished third in last year's Kentucky Oaks race. Former President Trump is weighing in. He's saying, so now even our Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, is a junkie. This is emblematic of what is happening to our country. The whole world is laughing at us. (laughs) 
<laughs> Yo, guys. I still can't believe this guy was president. I mean, this, this man is a legend. What other ex-president spends their time roasting horses? It is weird, though, to put this on the horse, right? I mean, it's not like the horse wants to take drugs or train all day or race around a track getting slapped on the ass. It's a horse. It wants to do what horses want to do. DJ. They love DJing. At the same time, though, if it was up to the horse, I mean, the horse would definitely take the drugs because horse racing is the sport with the biggest difference between winning and losing. If you win, you spend the rest of your life banging other horses. If you lose, you're gonna be holding macaroni art together. And finally, a threat to America's infrastructure that's scarier than Woody Harrelson in the new Venom trailer. If the line at the filling station is a little longer than usual this week, it might just be because somebody has hacked the gasoline. We're gonna begin with this, so the race against time after a cyber attack on a major source of fuel for the East Coast. Colonial Pipeline halted operations on thousands of miles of pipeline on Friday after hackers forced a shutdown by taking the company's data hostage. Colonial runs pipelines from Houston, Texas to Linden, New Jersey, transporting more than 100 million gallons of gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, and home heating oil every day. A criminal gang with links to Moscow is a leading suspect. There is a ransomware crew known as Darkseid. They use kind of a double tap technique of both locking up the networks and demanding uh, de demanding ransom. Overnight, gasoline futures jumped more than 3% to 222 a gallon, the highest since May of 2018. Another concern is panic buying. Analysts worry that nervous consumers could drain gas supplies, which would also push prices higher. Okay, all right, this is outrageous. If you wanna take data hostage, you do it the legitimate way, by getting people to sign up for your social media network. Now, may maybe I'm not that tech savvy, but is there a reason a pipeline has to be on the internet in the first place? Like, who was out there like, all right guys, I think it's fine to transport billions of gallons of oil through this pipe, but what if we could also use it to watch TikTok, huh? And look, hacks happen all the time, but this attack is a big deal, and it could even cause a shortage of gas in America. Which, by the way, Daddy Yankee tried to warn us about, but what were we doing? Too busy grinding to listen. So yes, people are now gonna be going out, trying to buy gasoline before the price goes up again, and it's gonna be chaos. I mean, not for me, though. I already have all the gasoline I need. See, the trick, and nobody realizes this, is you wanna save gasoline ahead of time. And the way to do that is you soak up the gasoline with a bunch of oily rags. See? Yeah. And that way, I can stack it up in my apartment and I only squeeze out what I need. That's how you stay safe. But let's move on now to our main story out of California. Home to national treasures like Yosemite, the Golden Gate Bridge, and the Hype House. Back in 2018, California elected former San Francisco mayor and the only white dude who puts Gorilla Glue in his hair, Gavin Newsom, to be the governor. And for a while, he was as popular in California as Botox. But now, a lot of people aren't smiling anymore. 
California officials confirmed last night there will be a recall election for Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom this year. A petition collected enough signatures to put Newsom's fate up to the voters who elected him two and a half years ago. Initially praised for his aggressive response to the pandemic, Newsom came under fire for whiplash on and off business restrictions. But the anger exploded and recall signatures surged when he was caught ignoring his own advice at an expensive dinner with lobbyists with no mask and no distance. As the state struggled with COVID restrictions, Newsom was photographed dining at the French Laundry, an exclusive restaurant in California's wine country. We're all human. We all fall short sometimes. We all fall short sometimes. We all break our own quarantine rules to eat foie gras with a Bernays reduction. That's what was so bad about this scandal is that it was his policy in the first place. Like if anybody else broke quarantine like this, it would seem irresponsible. But when the governor does it, it feels like he just wanted everyone to stay home so that he could get a good table. And he didn't just get caught eating out. Don't forget that. He got caught eating at the fanciest restaurant in the country, which I mean, sort of makes sense. Like if I'm gonna destroy my career for a dinner out, I'm not doing it for Applebee's, shit. I'm going McDonald's at least. So. Thanks to the scandal and his handling of COVID in general, Newsom now faces a recall election. And you know California isn't happy with Newsom if they were able to get that many people to sign a petition during a pandemic. I hate that guy so much. I will touch this pen that 10,000 other people have touched. Give me that pen. Give me that pen. Mm. Now, if you don't know what a recall election is, it's essentially a way for voters to express their anger towards an elected official without storming the Capitol and trying to kill Mike Pence. And now if Newsom loses the recall election, he'll be replaced by someone else a year before his term was supposed to be up. And already there's more people on this ballot than there are sliding into Melinda Gates' DMs. The race to recall Governor Gavin Newsom is already becoming a circus. Dozens of people have announced they're running or hinted they could be. So what are the requirements to run in the recall? Not a lot. And that's why a lot of people do it. You have to be a U.S. citizen, registered to vote in California, and not convicted of a felony involving bribery. The entry fee is just under $4,000 plus 65 signatures. If you collect 7,000 signatures, there's no fee at all. Running in the California recall may be the best bargain there is in terms of uh, seeking fame and fortune. It only costs $4,000 to get on the ballot. And that gets you your message before 22 million California voters. Damn. Why do I feel like it's easier to run in California than it is to vote in Georgia? And making it this easy to run could cause problems in any state, but especially in California. I mean, think about it. Everyone there is trying to break into movies. Every candidate is just gonna be using the debates as an audition. Californiers, constant wildfires make me angry and sad and Shakespeare. Did I get it? But not every candidate is in the race to get famous. Some are trying to cash in on their fame. That's right. The highest profile person in the race is Caitlyn Jenner. Olympic gold medalist, and yet somehow least successful Kardashian. Jenna is a Republican who says she wants to focus on the issues important to ordinary citizens. Unfortunately, she's not off to a great start. 
Caitlyn Jenner under fire for comments that she made during an interview at her own airplane hangar. My friends are leaving California. Actually, weren't my hangar. The guy across right over from me, he was packing up his hangar. I said, where are you going? And he says, I'm moving to uh, Sedona, Arizona. I can't take it anymore. I can't walk down the streets to see the homeless. Wow. I'm tired of walking down the streets seeing homeless people? Whew. That is shocking. I didn't realize people in California walked. No, but for real, it's crazy that someone so good at running could be so bad at running. I mean, I can't think of something more out of touch than complaining about people who have no home while you're sitting in a home you bought for your jet. I mean, half the reason people are pissed at Newsom is for being an out of touch rich guy. You gotta counter that. You can't be out there making speeches like, the butler at my third mansion really hates this place. We need to improve it. Isn't that right, Jeeves? So yeah, it's definitely not relatable for Caitlyn Jenner to talk about her private plane. But on the other hand, anything to keep her from driving. And there's another potential obstacle to Jenner's success as well. I mean, she's the most famous transgender person in the world. And the Republican Party as a whole likes trans people about as much as they like tax hikes or Liz Cheney. Which may be why Jenna is going out of her way to assure voters that just because she's trans doesn't mean that she's on board with the trans agenda. Backlash this morning against Caitlyn Jenner from some LGBTQ rights activists. That's after the Olympic champion and one of the most well-known voices in the trans community, one of the highest profile trans Americans, says she opposes trans girls playing on girls' sports teams. This is a question of fairness. That's why I oppose biological boys who are trans competing in girls' sports in school. It just isn't fair. It's a dramatic shift for Jenner, a transgender woman and advocate. I also want to acknowledge all the young trans athletes who are out there, given the chance to play sports as who they really are. That's right. As soon as she started running for office, Caitlyn Jenner flipped her political positions to get more votes. And if you ask me, I actually think it's inspiring, you know, because she's showing the world that a trans person can be just as opportunistic as any other politician. That's progress. But still, this must be a big letdown for the trans community. I mean, you expect that if someone has lived your experience, they'll be in your corner. You know, it's like if Biden got elected and then suddenly banned grandpas from finding a quarter behind your ear. That's a betrayal. You've forgotten your roots, Joe. And you've forgotten this quarter. Now, as we said, Jenna is hardly the only candidate in the race, but because she's such a celebrity, the other candidates have to work so hard to just get noticed. One of the candidates for California governor kicking off his bus tour in Sacramento with a 1,000 pound bear beside him. Republican John Cox held a news conference at Sacramento's Miller Park and behind him, you can see that bear, a live one as a prop. Cox has also just spent $5 million to run TV ad campaigns that feature him standing right next to that bear. He's calling it his Meet the Beast campaign. It's a wonderful animal. And, uh, you know, it's a symbol of the big beastly changes that we need to make in California. How close have you come to the bear? <laughs> I kissed the bear, actually. <laughs> it's a very tame bear. It's been in hundreds of movies. It's a member of the Screen Actors Grill. You kissed the bear? My man, it's a bear. I know you think it's tame, but let me tell you something. There's no such thing as a tame 
bear, right? There's only bears that haven't decided to rip your face off yet. In fact, let me ask you something. Does anyone really believe that this guy is campaigning with a bear because of some kind of symbolism? I mean, it feels like he bought a bear while he was drunk, and now he's trying to figure out how to make it work for his campaign. California's so bad, I can't even bear it anymore. We need to rewrite these grisly laws. Like, for example, making it easier to return an animal you accidentally got off eBay. Is anyone else with me? Put, yeah, put, put my mom down, bear! So look, we're gonna keep an eye on this race as it moves forward, but when you look at the major candidates in the race right now, Californians basically have a choice between two candidates who are out of touch with the people and one guy who's way too in touch with bears. So it wouldn't surprise me if Californians are looking at these choices and saying, you know what? Maybe I'll just vote for the bear. All right, when we come back, I'll be joined by Ian Manuel, a man who was sentenced to life in prison as a 14-year-old child. And then Candace Parker, WNBA legend, is joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My first guest is Ian Manuel, an activist and a poet who was sentenced to life without parole at the age of 14. He's here to talk about what he endured in the prison system and how his shooting victim became his number one advocate. Ian Manuel, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> the Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you for having me, Trevor. Um, man, you, you, you have lived a life that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, you've written a book about it, and I'm not gonna lie, your, your story has all of the, um, the most surprising conclusions, because you were 14 years old, and you got sentenced to life. That was it. What was really fascinating in the story is how the judge explicitly says, hey, man, there's no second chances even if you're 14 years old, you know? when that judge says you're sentenced to life, did you know what that actually meant? Or like, how long did it take to sink in? Uh, in my, I didn't recognize that life meant life until I was ne nearly in my 20s or 30s. Uh, as a child, you don't recognize life, what life without parole means. And that was based on a Florida law that says a child of any age indicted for a life or death felony shall be treated in every respect as if he were an adult. And that law is still on the book. So children can still be subjected to this no matter if they're eight, nine, or 10. It felt horrible, man. No human being should be treated like that, especially a child. You, you, you weren't just sentenced to life with no parole. You, at some point, were, were sent to solitary confinement. And you spent, what, over a decade in solitary confinement? Uh, actually, I spent 18 consecutive years from the time uh, George H.W. Bush was president to when Barack Obama was on his uh, second year of his first term. So from 1992 to 2010. If it wasn't for me diving within the depths of my imagination and, and learning how to write poetry, I would have I went crazy in there. I really need to understand this, like on a human level, you know, everyone, every therapist, every researcher, every scientist has said one of the key things human beings need to exist is human connection. For those who really don't understand solitary confinement, can you explain that? What is it like existing in a box for 18 years? It's about the size of a walk-in elevator or a freight elevator. There's a steel bunk. There's a, a door. It's about five or six steps from the wall to the to the, the front door with a size nine and a half shoe. 
And it's just, and it's not like they put me in that cell and left me there, right? Uh, I was tortured. I was gassed with chemical agents. I was beaten. I mean, if what happened to George Floyd happened in broad daylight, imagine what's happening behind closed prison walls when there's no one to videotape it. And what makes your story interesting is one of the advocates who said, we need to let this man out of prison, he cannot spend his entire life behind bars, was the woman who you shot in the face, Debbie Bagri, who you are now friends with. And she said, hey man, if I can forgive this person and if I can move forward with them, the American legal system needs to do the same thing. Talk to me about how you made contact with her, why that journey began, and, and what that did for both of you as human beings. I was going through my paperwork and I seen Debbie's phone number and address in, my, in the police report. So I reached out to her and I called her. And I remember the first thing I said was, Debbie, I'd like to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and to apologize for shooting you in the face. Then she asked me a question that no 14-year-old should ever have to answer. She said, Ian, why did you shoot me? And I just remember saying it was a mistake. It all happened so fast. And I asked her, could I, could I call back? And I called back and, and I just asked, I don't remember much about that second conversation itself. I asked her, could I write her? And she said, yes. And that's how our correspondence started. And then that led to Brian Stevenson sent, sending me a letter and taking my case and appealing it to the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn my life sentences. If you were appealing to people who would in no way, shape, or form be on the side of anybody who's committed a crime, how would you explain to them why they should consider not having, you know, a life sentence, especially for a minor who the courts or the justice system considers an adult? Yeah, I would just say that as children, our brains are still developing. And I am nowhere near the person I was at 13, at 14, at 15. I evolved. We as human beings, we begin to evolve and we become different people. So to say, a, say, to, say to a child that you will never change is, is scientifically untrue. It's proven through science that we develop and we grow. So you should not eradicate, because that's what the judge sought to do. He sought to eradicate me from Earth. And I just feel like we as humans deserve a second chance at life. What do you think it is about poetry that, that, that saved your brain? Like, like you know, because you, you talk about it with so much passion. You go like, this is the only thing that, that kept me copus mentis. What is it about the poetry that, 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 that helps you cope? Well, I'll give you an example by reciting one of my poems, My Time Will Come. It says, I promise you, the brunt of my oppression has a purpose. And the same person that you persecute will one day be worshipped. Though I stand before you bare-chested and shirtless with my soul and emotions naked, just wanting to be nurtured. Yeah, despite the desperation, desertion, and hurting, my time gonna come. Though I compose this poem not knowing if I'll ever be able to perform it in an auditorium, I do it with the faith of a poet that believes he was born to do it like an acorn caught up in a storm, flung from the branch where it was born. You can only hold me back for so long. My time gonna come. Despite the difficulties and disappointments, my determination remains undaunted. Though the waters of my tomorrows are deep and uncharted, 
the buoyance of my character will float unwavering towards him like a song written yet unrecorded. My time gonna come. Though you wrapped me in chains and sprayed me with chemical flames and did all of the things you did to add to my pain, my circumstances will change. I believe this with the depths of my being that as long as this world continues to spin, it cannot end until it's been enjoyed by Ian. Remember this day, because things won't always be this way. My time gonna come. My time gonna come against all conceivable odds. My time gonna come. Thank you. Man, ah, uh, your story isn't easy, Ian. It's complicated. The issue isn't easy, it's complicated. Um, but yeah. I think one thing I appreciate about your book and your conversation is, is that we're dealing with human beings. You're a human being. The person you shot was a human being. The people who are incarcerated every day are human beings. And we hope that they'll become human beings when they come up, but we don't treat them like human beings when they're locked up. So thank you for the time, Ian. Thank you for joining us. And um, best of luck, brother. I appreciate you, man. Thank you, Trevor. Don't forget, everybody, Ian's memoir, My Time Will Come, is available now. All right, when we come back, the WNBA legend Candace Parker herself will be joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My next guest tonight is WNBA superstar Candace Parker. She's here to talk about what it's been like returning home to play for the Chicago Sky and what she gets up to behind the scenes with Shaq and D. Wade on TNT. Candace Parker, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm a, I'm a fan, Trevor, just so you know. I'm not a casual fan, I'm a fan. Oh, wow. Okay, that, that puts a lot of pressure on me because now I'm a, I'm a fan of yours because it, it's not often I get to talk to anybody who is considered the greatest at anything that they do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read just a small list of some of your achievements. Um, you've won an N a WNBA title, right? Two Olympic gold medals, two regular season MVPs, and a finals MVP. You're also the first player to win Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. Last year, you were named the Defensive Player of the Year. My, my, my question to you is, have you already started writing your Hall of Fame speech? Or like, what, like what, do you, what do you, like, do you plan ahead or are you gonna try and make it seem like you didn't know at the, t uh, is it gonna be one of those like, oh, modest, ah, oh, what a surprise. Listen, I'm, I'm just realizing now, like I've been in this thing for 14 years and like I have a daughter and the people that I'm playing with are closer to her age. So I think it's more so just more concerned about worried about how my socks are, if I'm not looking like an old lady, all those things. <laughs> you, you, you say that, but you are still competing at the highest level. You know, um, the season's about to kick off. Everybody in Chicago is excited because you have just switched to a new team. It's almost a homecoming for you because you're from Illinois. W what are your expectations for the upcoming season? And, 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 and how do you deal with that pressure of a whole city going, all right, Candace, we need you to fix what happened last year. We need you to take us to the top. First, I'm really excited. I've, I grew up in Naperville, which is um, Western suburbs of Chicago. And I started playing basketball here and you know, just to be able to come back to where it all started. Because around the Chicagoland area, I grew up in the 90s, so it was all Bulls, 
all who's next, all prep, high school, college, everything. Like they follow basketball. And so I would always run into people and they would always be like, I remember seeing you when you were in high school or whatever. So now to come back and just play and, you know, to be able to have dinner with my dad and have breakfast with my mom, my grandma can come see me play. I mean, all that stuff is so special um, to be a part of. And I'm excited. I'm, you know, with the challenge, you know, to try to win. Because if you're not trying to win at the beginning of the season, uh, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what you're doing. You, you, you aren't just the best uh, on the court. You're also one of the best off the court as well. Um, people love you. I'm, I'm one of the people who loves you. I love your commentary on, on TNT with Shaq and D-Wade. I love the camaraderie that you guys have formed. I love the games that you play. I love how you go at it with Shaq. Like, that relationship seems so authentic. Like, you guys are fighting, you're laughing, you're, you're, you're arguing, but it's like you're in the same space. How long did it take for you to form that? Like, is, is, that, is that a natural thing? I grew up watching these guys. Like, I grew up as a fan on a couch debating with my two brothers, who are fans, by the way, Trevor. I have to shout out Anthony and Mark. <laughs> they are extended. We won WBA championships. We've done all these things, gone to the Olympics. It's like, you're going to be on The Daily Show? Are you kidding me? So, <laughs> huge hit. Um, Thank you. Thank but you. I, I will say that my childhood coming up debating my brothers and being around them all the time kind of prepared me for Turner. Because honestly, like, that's what it's like on set. You debate, you might not have any facts to debate it, but you try. (laughs) There's a lot of yelling and screaming and just saying you don't understand. And that's what it is. And honestly, like, when I came in, you know, I know there's a lot to do with, like, me being the only woman on set and things like that. And I told him immediately, like, I'm not trying to be one of the guys. I'm trying to be one of the players. Oh, nice. And they've embraced that, honestly. Like, I'm a teammate. But we just have fun. I wish we had cameras in the back, like in the makeup room. Because if you would hear some of those debates, <laughs> it's like the show after the show. I feel like you could just add it to the list of things you're doing because you're playing, you're, you're in front of the camera. Uh, rumors are that you're starting a new podcast now. Is, is that true? Can we confirm that? Yes, I'm very excited to be starting um, Moments with Candace Parker. I, I have an, a 12-year-old daughter and... She is just the center of my entire world. And just talking with other parents, got Tio Mowry, that was a guest, D-Wade, of course, and Gabby, our amazing parents. So just really excited to chat with a lot of different experiences because I think there's no blueprint when it comes to raising a child. Is it, is it harder or does it get easier raising a child when you are an elite athlete because so much of your time is taken up by the game like how do you how do you create a stable base for a child in a world that is so unstable because of sports Layla has been with me from day one uh we didn't spend a night away from each other uh, until she was almost two or two or three um I nursed for 15 months so my coach saw a lot of you know switching (laughs) (laughs) switching in the locker room while he's going over plays but that's just the way it was and you know, I wanted to balance both. And I'm very lucky because I have an amazing family that helps me with my daughter. And I have an amazing kid. She gets it. Um, she's one of the best travelers. She's been to Russia, China, like everywhere in Europe. Like she's amazing. Um, but I will say this. I think a lot of people give professional athletes credit for being able to balance motherhood. But there's a million other women out there that have it way harder. That's jobs. Don't let them bring their kids to, mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. That, you know, don't let them take off when they're sick. And, and just different things like that. So I am very happy to have that balance of motherhood. And I realize, right. you know, 
you have tough days, but you know, it's all worth it. Oh man, that, yeah. I hope everyone listens to the podcast. It must be fun hearing some of the behind the scenes of everyone's moments as, as, as a mom. Good luck with your, with your, uh, your next venture out in uh, Chicago. Uh, good luck with your new podcast. Thank you for joining me on the show and I hope to see you again. Thank you so much. Remember, you can catch Candace play with the Chicago Sky when the WNBA season starts again on May 15th. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So please consider supporting an organization called Therapy Aid Coalition. They're a nonprofit that is committed to providing free and low-cost online therapy to essential workers and to victims of national disasters. So if you're able to help them out in any way, go to the link below and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if a horse asks you for drugs, just say nay. I'll show myself out. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.